0: You have one egg, but the problem with this illustration is there's a separate shell, a separate white, and a separate yolk. But if it relates to the Trinity, the white has to be the full egg. And the yolk has to be the full egg, and the shell has to be the full egg. In fact, what you have teaching with the illustration of the egg, you actually have a form of false teaching going on, as we're going to see in a second, because in the Trinity, there's one God, there are three persons, but they are all God.
1: Welcome back to Live in the Light. Glad as always that you've joined us. And for those of you who are just finding us now, hey, we're glad you're here today. And what's more important, we're praying that the truths of God's word as it's unfolded for us verse by verse will be gripping your hearts and your minds with a greater love for God, heart and mind. Hey, that's a great call for us today as today's teaching leads us into a huge truth. We're talking about the Trinity today that complex, wonderful, and amazing pillar of the Christian faith. May all of our hearts be gripped with the greatness of our God today. Let's turn things over now to our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, as he walks through the word with us today.
0: What else can you compare this to? Because it's the one true God who has designed it this way, and his essence is one God and three persons, and there's unity within diversity in the community of the Trinity, and this is what we are to be like. This is the example. This is what's in us as the Holy Spirit of God wants us to be this way. So, these four essential affirmations, I pray, in your head and your heart one God, three persons, fully equal, not identical. Now, here's what's something important to point out to you today, too. There is no illustration that can do justice to the Trinity. How many people, there's a bunch in the Saturday night, there's like two in the nine. How many people grew up with the illustration of the Trinity of the egg? Anyone? Anyone with the egg? Again, like a spattering. Wow, that's interesting. Maybe you're smarter than I or whatever. I, I grew up with um, illustration. The Trinity is like an egg. And the, re- <laughs> the reason a Trinity is like an egg is that there's one egg, but there's three parts. And so you have one egg, but you have the shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. And see, so you're helping children understand in concept this is what the Trinity is like. But listen, it's not what the Trinity is like. And here's where this breaks down, okay? And there's no illustration you will find. You have one egg. But the problem with this illustration is there's a separate shell, a separate white, and a separate yoke. But if it relates to the Trinity, the white has to be the full egg. And the yoke has to be the full egg, and the shell has to be the full egg. In fact, what you have teaching with the illustration of the egg, you actually have a form of false teaching going on, as we're going to see in a second. Because in the Trinity, there's one God. There are three persons, but they are all God. They are not separate from one another. They are not the same, but they, but they, but they are all fully God. This is where it starts to hurt. This is where it starts to hurt, right? But some people say, "Well, Trinity's like um, Trinity's like a tree: roots and a branch, uh, trunk and uh, and branches." It's the same problem with the egg, though. The branches are different from the roots. They are not equal. They are separate in that way. The Trinity: one God, three persons. All must be fully God. Okay, now I got one. Now I got one. How about a man? One man who has uh, three... Three roles. He is a father, he is a husband, and he is an elder of a church. That's a good one, right? Well, no, it's not. And why? And why? Let's think about that. You have one person functioning in three different roles. That's not the Trinity. The Trinity is one God in three persons. There must be three distinct persons that all equal the same totality of being fully God. Ouch. All right. but this is where it becomes so mind blowing and so beautiful. Uh, there is no illustration that can fully do justice to the reality of the doctrine of the Trinity. And the reason I bring those up to you is because I want you to see the danger in people attempting to understand the doctrine. They can end up teaching that which is false, and then, whether intentionally or not intentionally, undermine the whole Christian faith. This is what leads us to point number two then. I must seek to defend the Trinity. I must seek to defend the mystery of the Trinity. But a couple of weeks ago in the round table, we, we, we discussed hills to die on. And we called them, these are the absolutes of the Christian faith. And we had a bullseye, or it's in a picture of a bullseye. At the center of a bullseye, we're calling it absolutes. These are the hills to die on. An absolute is if you take this doctrine away from the Christian faith, there is no Christian faith. That's the inner circle. And the the next ring is what we call convictions. And we might have strong convictions in certain aspects of biblical teaching, but what we're saying about those convictions, though, is that we're not going to die on that hill in a sense of, we're not saying that someone who doesn't hold our convictions is not a Christian. Someone who doesn't hold to an absolute is not a Christian, because they are denying fundamentally the gospel. But beyond the absolutes and the conviction, then there's preferences. And that's a wider circle. And the preferences are things that we just would choose, like a music style in church. What, what, what drives me crazy is when people are dying on hills of preferences. I will leave this church if there's not an organ. Really? Like, really? I remember something came up to me, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dismissing that some people feel strongly about this issue. But several years ago, someone came up to me and they said, Pastor, what's your position on Halloween? And I knew at that moment, if I answered according to their liking, they would stay. If I answered, if I didn't, what they, they would leave the church. And I said, you're telling me you're going to leave this church over my position on this issue? Really? I'm respecting what's going on in different camps, and I can see either side to this. But if you're going to die on that hill... Not trying to offend. I'm just saying these are examples, and I go on about this a little bit. I want our church to die in the hills Jesus is dying on. It's not disrespecting convictions you might hold, but it's saying operate with wisdom. Do not break relationships over things that Jesus, Jesus said. You can go in the hill. I'm not. I'm staying right here. You know. Um, I just be be wise. And and I'm resolved to not waste my life on issues that ultimately are not fundamentally most important to the things that matter. You hear what I'm saying? I pray you do hear what I'm saying. The Trinity is a hill to die on. The Trinity is a doctrine that if you take it away, you lose the Christian faith. So here are some false views. Here are some heretical teachings um, on the Trinity. The first one is called this. We touched on this a little bit. This is called tritheism. And tritheism, again, is the belief that there are three gods. They deny one God. So they deny, then, monotheism which is the very basis for our faith. Tritheism, this is what happens. Tritheism happens when distinctions made between the persons of the Trinity get so overemphasized that they become uh, one God in of themselves. You have three gods. So God the Father's a God, God the Son's a God, and God the Holy Spirit becomes a separate God. Think about the problems and the issues with, with with tritheism. I got a father hat here and uh, the son hat here in the middle. And 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 um, can I bore you guys for a second? Is that okay? you mind? Come on, up. Thanks. Thanks. Here, just grab. The, you, you can be spirit. You can be a son, all right? Congratulations, okay? Amen. And uh, I'll be the father, okay? So, so what happens is, is that they, they, they set, th- thanks guys for doing this. I really appreciate it, yeah. And um, <laughs> tritheism then says, no, there's not one God, there's three separate gods. So I become a God, you become a God, and you become a God. Here's the problem with tritheism though. I never get to wear hats in church. Is this, is just things, is, is at what point though, like who do I worship? Do I worship, like is, is should, should the father be worshiped? Is he better than the son? Um, are they ever gonna start competing with one another? How do we know there's really unity here? Uh, because there are three separate gods. See, the whole blessing of the Trinity is that the perfect unity within diversity. But here we see diversity, but is there really unity? I mean, like, if I, if I give extra attention to the Holy Spirit, is God the Father upset with me? Am I neglecting him? You see where this is going. It's not in the Bible. It's a false teaching. It just helps illustrate, just in part. Thank you. Look good, thank you. You guys just cheer them on a little bit. Is that okay? Amen. Thank you. And we do that for our visual learners, hopefully helpful in some sense, right? Tritheism, though, doesn't work. It's, it's, it's not in the scripture. It is, is, is detrimental uh, to the Christian faith. Here's the second false teaching. It's called modalism. Modalism is the heretical teaching that holds that God is not really three distinct persons, but only one person, listen carefully, only one person who appears to people in different modes, or different manifestations at different times. Okay, so you get it? So, so what modalism does, it denies the three persons, says there's only one God, but, but he, he then manifests himself in three different modes or three different manifestations. Um, that's a problem. So for instance, um, one God, he puts on the father hat, well, then it's time to be done with the Father. You got to be the Son. So you got to put that hat down. You got to put now it's time to put the Son hat and move on to what God the Son's going to do. And then you have to get rid of that. And then you got to put on God the Spirit. And and the problem is though is that how do you? What do you do when you get to Matthew chapter three in the baptism of Jesus? Then all of a sudden you have this passage confronting you with trying to uh, here and a baptism and you're uh, there. And uh, what happens? Well, well Matthew chapter three blows modalism out of the water. Because clearly there is more than one person being presented in the Bible for the scriptures that we have seen. One God eternally existed in three persons, not three modes, not three manifestations. Here's the third false teaching I want to point out to. It's called Arianism. And Arianism is the doctrine, the erroneous, these are false views, okay? So don't run home today and say, hey, I found a new thing, let's do it, modalism, right? No, 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 hey, these are false teachings. These are very bad, okay? The erroneous doctrine that denies the full deity of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Arianism essentially says that at some point, Jesus Christ was created, He was a created being by God, and the Holy Spirit was as well. Arianism comes from a guy named Arius. He died in the early 300s. He was a bishop. And Arius taught that Jesus Christ, again, was at some point created by God. So therefore, saying this, Jesus Christ has not always existed eternally, but here are the implications. If Christ has not existed eternally, therefore he's less than God. Therefore he's not equal with God. The problem with Arianism, as it's so devastating then, is then you have, well, what is Jesus Christ and who he is? And by the way, modern day people hold to Arianism are the Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door. They don't believe Jesus Christ is God. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They actually insert into John 1, chapter 1, John 1, verse 1, they insert the word a in there. And in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was a God, uh, any, any proper study of the original Greek in John chapter one, verse one, you have just played and tampered with the word of God and you will you will stand before God in judgment and leading people astray when the Bible does not teach. That's a very scary place to be. The point being is though, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ and they say he is less than. That's why, see, Jesus Christ didn't pay for the fullness of their sins. They have to work then for their salvation because they have to trust in themselves. That's why they knock on your door. They're trying to earn their spot in heaven by their good deeds before God. They deny the substitution and sacrifice of Jesus Christ because he wasn't fit to pay for it is what they teach. That's Arianism. That's modern-day Arianism. But again, the deity of Jesus Christ. And they try to say, too, sometimes they try to say, well, in Colossians 1, it says Jesus Christ was the firstborn over all creation. See, he was born, he was created. No, no, no. If you knew the Bible... If you understood what it taught, you would know that David is called the firstborn. And David was the lastborn among eight brothers. And the reason he's carrying the title firstborn, it has rank of importance, of greatness. It doesn't mean he was physically born first. Jesus Christ is the greatest, is preeminent, is before all things, is the firstborn over all creation. He is the uh, exact imprint of the nature of God. He is what is visibly seen as God. He is God himself. He is preeminent in all things. And so if you want to understand the deity of Jesus Christ, look at John. There's, there's three ones, three ones for the deity of Christ. And we'll come here in future weeks, but three ones. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 is a great start for the deity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 1 is a fantastic start to build your arsenal the next time you get knocking on the door. And to show that Jesus Christ was undeniably God. He has always existed um, as such. But Arianism tries to stand against this, And this is why the Nicene Creed was written. The Nicene Creed, first written in AD 325. This was written in part to come against Arius. And by the way, I read the Nicene Creed this week in light of all our doctrine. I was like, man, it's so beautiful. You know, I just stop and just like, aren't you thankful for men and women who've gone before us that have stood for truth and have protected it and God has used that 1700 years later, here we are benefiting from their sacrifice and particular individuals dying, dying for these doctrines, loved ones, because they are so resolved to stand for that which they knew, which was so fundamental for the Christian faith and not losing the essence and the truth and the power of the gospel. I'm so thankful for that. And here's what they wrote then. This is, this is why creeds are so important when they're applied properly. We believe in one God, amen. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God, eternally, eternally, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. This is the phrase, right for Ares, here is, right in your face, okay? Begotten, not made. He was not created. He has always existed. Jesus Christ is God and has eternally existed as the Son of God, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. The glory of the Trinity of God. You know, um, one of the questions you might ask me right now is, "Okay, so these false views and and but but why is it so important to deny? Practically speaking, why is it so important to deny these false teachings? Like, let's take modalism for a sec for example. Why would we defend against modalism? Well, number one, it's not in the Bible. Okay, and it actually teaches against what the Bible teaches. That's a good reason. Um, number two. Uh, modalism denies the three persons of the Trinity. So what it does is it's denying the relationships found within the Trinity. Think about it this way. If, if, if modalism is true, then who's Jesus praying to in the garden of Gethsemane, agonizing over not my will, but your will be done? What is that? If there's one God in three manifestations, he's just talking to himself, there's no relationship with the father then? That doesn't exist? What is that, a sham? When, when, when Jesus is on the cross, he's, father, I commit my hands into your spirit. Who's he talking to? What what is that too, just just an act for us so we can be impressed by something? Again, Jesus' baptism, how did that happen? See, what modalism does starts to undermine the very word of God itself and starts to completely discredit the sincerity of what was happening between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Modalism also, it kills the gospel. Um, The biblical gospel has the Son bearing the Father's wrath for us. If there's one God and three manifestations and not three persons, then how did Jesus, was was God the Son actually taking on the wrath of the Father for our punishment? I mean, how could that be? I mean, are we really saved? Was that sacrifice, did it actually happen? Does it really take place? How about Arianism? Arianism says that Jesus was created. If Jesus was created, then he's less than God. If he's less than God, then was his sacrifice legit? Did he really pay for all our sins? I mean, how do we know? Because it takes God to equal the demands of God. God had to die on that cross that day. And if Jesus Christ is less than God, then I don't know if we can say near at all with any assurance that he paid for our sins. It just becomes a train wreck of theology. That's why we must defend, defend the Trinity. Arianism too, if Jesus Christ isn't, isn't God, then can we worship him? I mean, he's like an angel. They said, don't worship me, man. Worship God. Is Jesus Christ worthy of our worship? According to Arianism, it would be pretty hard to justify that. Again, it's very important we defend the Trinity. This takes us to the third point, which is this. I must seek to apply the Trinity. I must seek to apply the Trinity. And I like this one a lot here too because the question we're trying to ask is why is the doctrine of the Trinity so important to me, me specifically? I have four reasons, four reasons. Number one, Here's what the Trinity does. It places God in the flesh. The Trinity, the diversity and the unity in the Trinity places God in the flesh. John 1, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Without the Trinity, can God the Son be sent in that way? I say no. But because there is a Trinity, God the Son can be sent and we have seen his glory. He took on flesh. That's why the incarnation, that that he became a human being, is, is one of my favorite doctrines. It is so astoundingly awesome that God eternal in the form of his Son would be sent to the form of a human being to live a perfect life and to die a horrible death out of love for us. That can't happen without the Trinity. That is That is awesome. Uh, Secondly, the Trinity does this. It places God in community. It places God in community. So think about it. You got to use your minds here. God is entirely independent. He doesn't need us in any way. Yet he has always existed in perfect community and harmony within the Trinity. Here's what I say to you. God is intensely relational because of the Trinity. He's not some far-off God who just creates and then leaves us alone to ourselves. He wants to dwell in us and with us. Could it be then, this is a bit of a deep thought, could it be then the reason God pursues us intensely for relationship is because that's who he is. That is his essence, that is his character, that is his being. He would be unjust to himself if he was not perfectly desiring of the unity and the diversity that is found in the community of the Trinity. And we get the benefit then because of that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that beautiful unity within diversity. God wants that intense relational aspect that he knows perfectly to be seen in us. God is pursuing you to love you because he wants you to know his unity and his love and his perfection and your life and heart. Our God is awesome. That is just a wonderful, wonderful thought to try to wrap around your mind and how that relates to your life. Incredible how awesome and beautiful our God is. And it all starts in the unity found within the Trinity, again, within the diversity It places God in the flesh. It places God in community thoroughly. It places the Holy Spirit in us. This blew me away this week in a fresh way. Just think about this. The doctrine of the Trinity, because of the doctrine of the Trinity, we now who are believers in Jesus Christ, by the way, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? Just tell Jesus how much you love him. Say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, would you come save me from my sins? I don't wanna drive the car anymore. Jesus, you drive my car. I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm tired of this. I give in. I give up. You are God. You are Lord. You died for me. You are real. You rose from the dead. As best you can, whatever way you can say it, you say, Jesus Christ, come and save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. If you do that, here's the astounding part of the Trinity. And you can only say that because of the reality of the Trinity. Everyone who has been born again by Jesus Christ, listen, you've been saved by God the Son because of what he did. And think of it this way. You have, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you actually have the third person of the Trinity living within you. I mean, just think about that. I mean, that's because of the Trinity. We have the third person of the Trinity residing in us forever and ever to grow us in love and unity and affection within the diversity of where we live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That is awesome. That is awesome. Amen. Amen. And it should come with applause because you think about it that way, you're like, wow! God lives in me. The Holy Spirit is within me. That's why you get conviction. That's why you're not satisfied where you are. That's why you want to grow and change in love. Because the third person of the Trinity says, let's go for the Lord. Let's go for Jesus Christ. Let's see what he will do. And you know the Holy Spirit's doing within you too? He's looking for that unity within diversity. He wants it to be seen in your church. Think of thinking in all the different parts and yet the unity comes together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the power of the example of the Trinity within our marriages. Have you figured this out yet? Men and women are fully equal, fully equal, just like the Trinity, made in the image of God. There's no lesser in men and women, but have you figured this out too yet? Men and women are not the same. (laughs) I had a guy last night, he was like, oh yeah. You know, I'm like, dude, it's probably a little too loud right there, you know? (laughs) But it's true. It's between men and women. This is, this is modeled in the Trinity. It's never an issue of equality. It's an issue of sameness. Don't let our culture define what is true in the Bible. Don't let our culture cause you to go down roads that don't exist in scripture. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully equal, not the same. Praise the Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully equal, different roles. Husband and wife fully equal. Different roles. Different roles. The son submits to the father. The Holy Spirit submits to the son and the father. That does not diminish their value in any way. They love operating in the unity and diversity with total equality. Men and women, the wife is to submit to the husband. And the husband is to cherish and love and with great affection and honor, provide an environment. Do you know how much I love to love my wife? And when I'm in the place where I'm listening to the Lord, how much I want to pour out honor and cherish. And do you think it's hard for my wife, Jill, to submit to my leadership in an environment of Christ-like love? The answer is no. There's no place she'd rather be. Tears in her eyes as her husband's going over himself to just try to, just try to care for her and treat her as she deserves. That's when God is at work within your life and marriage as a, as, as model for us within the Trinity. Trust that God is smarter than you when it comes to your relationships. Trust that God's way is right, not the world. Do not listen to some of the psychology guy on TV. Don't do that. Listen to God. And I don't care what our culture says, you will find so much power and beauty and blessing as two people in a marriage, a man and a woman, come together and say God's way, not my way. I've just entered into a marriage sermon, I'm sorry. I have to step back out of that now and move on with the Trinity. But I have a very powerful passion for that because it's so needed within our day. But the Trinity is an incredibly beautiful model for marriage, for leadership, for the church, uh, for the church, where there's diversity, but there's unity and there's community within the Trinity. And here's our last thing I want to say about this it places God in the flesh, places God in community. The Trinity places the Holy Spirit in us. And fourthly, and most powerfully right now, it places Christ on the cross. The doctrine of the Trinity places Christ on the cross. Look at the Trinity in Hebrews chapter nine, look at the Trinity when it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us as we remember today, okay? Notice this, the author of Hebrews says, how much more will the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ uh, uh, spent, spilled for us, the the sacrifice for our sins, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through, look carefully, Who through the eternal spirit, so right there, the spirit of God is fully God, He has always existed, he's eternal, he hasn't been created. Who through the eternal spirit, notice too, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, see the Holy Spirit, God the spirit right in there, right in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, offered himself, Jesus offers himself through the eternal spirit without blemish to God the Father. Right there, beautiful, beautiful verse. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all related to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. How much will it purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amazing, powerful, beautiful, awesome, and holy God. I hope I don't have to motivate you to say, God, you are awesome, that the sacrifice of Christ through the power of God's spirit to satisfy the demands of God the Father, that I will sit here today and reverently I will say, I worship you, Lord. For you have saved me from sin. Because of this I remember of what you did for me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hey, Live in the Light listeners. Listen, you've heard of Black Friday. You've probably heard of Cyber Monday. But if you heard of Giving Tuesday, that's a time, again, for people who are fired up about ministries like Live in the Light to give on Tuesday, November 29th to, again, ministries like ours to see the gospel continue to go forward and lives to be changed through the revelation of God's truth. Did you know that we are kept on the air on this station 100% by generous donors like yourselves? It's so true. We are dependent on you and the support and prayer, again, of our listeners to continue to see... These messages go out and we pray reach so many people again for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this year we're excited to say we had a special donor step up and they are willing again to match gifts up to $25,000. They're going to match again all donations up to that amount towards living the light in this giving season. So hey, maybe right now you you would consider being used of the Lord to uh, see how you can be used to give generously, to live in the Light that will continue to reach people. Again, a donor is going to match up to $25,000. We're so thankful for that donor and thankful for you for considering being used in this way at this time to see light shine in the darkness and to see those again without hope to find the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Bless you all for prayerfully considering such things.
1: What's all today here at Living in the Light? We do hope you join us again next time.